Good afternoon. All right, well, last time I was here was two weeks ago. And I think just before this service, I texted Pastor Ole, who he'd been teasing me all day, telling everyone I had a bad taco and that I had some food poisoning or I picked up a stomach bug while I was in Mexico. But it was right before this service that I texted him and said, well, I'm going to the hospital. Apparently, my appendix is exploding. And so I had a good reason to miss church, all right? So I did miss it, but I had surgery two Sundays ago and uh, a couple good things that came from it. The doctor said medically I should never do the dishes again. It's very dangerous to lift that kind of, that kind of weight. I was also really uh, glad because if you research it, most people have their appendix rupture 35 years and younger, so I have scientific proof that I have a young body. Uh, finally, I've been saying it for years. I'm not 40. I'm younger, I'm younger than that. And my appendix weighed five to six ounces, so it was practically a weight loss surgery. So I'm, all this so far has been a good experience, but don't blame the food. Never blame the food is the main lesson. Food is, food is good for us. And so thanks for those of you that were praying, whether you thought it was a taco or if you found out it was a, an appendix surgery. I, I appreciate that. Before we jump in, uh, my wife and I, uh, we don't feel like we're killing it as parents. We love our kids. We're doing the best we can. But we decided we're, we need to read a parenting book. But before we start, we thought we'd invite anyone that has kids that wants to read along with us. And so there's a book called Habits of the Household that we're going to start reading. We're going to read it over our vacation in July. And we want to do a quick uh, a book discussion with it at our house on July 29th, 6.30 to 8.30. We'll give you some dessert. And uh, if you just want to buy that book and read at your own pace, even if you don't finish it, you just read the table of contents, but you want to come and meet with some people who, who hopefully know, like, hey, there's, there's ways we can grow and become better parents. That's where we're, we're at, and we're hoping to uh, find some good nuggets in there and uh, just pray with each other. And so if nobody shows up, then I'll just assume you're all amazing parents and Chan and I are terrible. So that'll be really discouraging. So at least one of you should join us there for that book club. All right, well, if you have the Church Center app, you don't have it, there's a card in front of your seat where you can, you can download it. There's notes you can follow along with. They'll be on the screen as well. Last time I was here, we were in John chapter 10, where Jesus declared that he is the good shepherd, that there are leaders out there that are not good, that are leading us in the wrong way, but he is a good shepherd. In chapter 11, we're going to see the last of the seven miracles and signs that John wants to tell us about in the gospel of John. And we've seen a bunch of them. We'll put them on the screen. Jesus turned water into wine, which I know is when many people fell in love with Jesus and said, this is a guy worth following. He healed the official son in chapter 4. He healed a paralytic uh, by the pool in chapter 5. And he fed 5,000 people. And that wasn't just a good meal. They would have fainted on the way home because they'd traveled so far to hear Jesus and weren't prepared for it. He walked on water in chapter 6, healed a man born blind, never happened before, but it was predicted the Messiah would do this. And then in this chapter, he is going to raise Lazarus from the dead after four days of Lazarus being in the tomb. This is right before Passover, which is why after he does this, there's a lot of momentum and love for Jesus. The next day is Palm Sunday. And so everyone's talking about what Jesus had did and, and saying, Hosanna, he is, he is the king. Before we go any further, why don't you just turn to somebody sitting next to you or, or think about this. What's the best thing about life? Any answer is fair game. What's the best thing about life? That's right. Say it for the people in the back, right? Who said food? That's, your answer has to involve some form of food, right? Listen, it, 
even if food is your answer, here's what I believe the best thing about life is. It's relationships, right? Because when you experience good food or anything, you want to share that with other people and you're hoping for the same reaction. When I was in Mexico with the team, we had an ice cream night and I had a top three, maybe top two best ice cream ever. And I went around to every teammate saying like, no, you got the wrong thing. It's okay. Get another one. We'll pay for it. And I wanted everyone to experience the flavor that I was having. It, even food is better experienced in relationships. Some of the best times I have are sitting around at our house, getting to know people from Cornerstone, hearing their stories, laughing with them, praying with them. Relationships. If that's one of the best things about life, then that would make the worst thing death because death would cause a separation or an ending of a relationship. So what if we could have the best thing without the worst thing? Right? Some people say that Disneyland is the happiest place on earth. That's impossible because there are lines at Disneyland. And so it's only enjoyable if you have conquered impatience and you've become a patient person. And so I'm the worst person to go to Disneyland with because I'm always trying to convince my kids, let's go on the boring ride with no line. Look, there's no one at the teacups for a reason, but there's no line and they want to go somewhere else. And so you don't want to go with me. You can't have the best thing with that worst thing right there. Well, today in John 11, we see that whoever believes in Jesus Christ will receive spiritual life with God and will have continuing life with those others that believe in God. Something so powerful that even death itself cannot end it, cannot separate us from those that love the Lord. And so in John chapter 11, verse 1, we see what is going to be an impossible situation for Mary and Martha. Their brother Lazarus was sick and, and would die. And this is the greatest moment of need they had for God in their life. It says this in John 11:1. 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. I love how they handled this. I'm sure they went to the local physicians and did the, the home remedies and everything that was available. But at some point, they sent word to Jesus. And one of the best life skills that we can develop is to go directly to Jesus when we are troubled. And one of the worst things we can do is do the opposite of that. Instead of dealing with our problem, we do something to numb the pain, to distract ourselves away from how bad the situation is. And we develop so many destructive habits when we try and do that. If we could all just learn to go to Jesus, you're still allowed to go to a doctor and to get help from other people, but to go to Jesus when we are full of anxiety and, and struggling how much better our lives would be. Worrying does, does nothing to help, right? I mean, we, we're told in the Scriptures not to worry. It just paralyzes us. It, ju it just causes us to, to think every bad situation all at once is going to happen. It doesn't move us forward with the problem. But we can go to God. We're told not to worry, not just to knock it off, but specifically because we have a Father in heaven who can take care of us. And if we really believe that, then we should move from worry to trust. And that might be something we have to do multiple times a day as worry comes back. We say, no, I'm going to trust that my Father in heaven is going to take care of this. Jesus loves him. They, they say, Lazarus, the one you love is sick, and Jesus can help them. And they went straight to him. But they didn't get the answer they wanted. They, they didn't at all. It says, it says that in verse 4, when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. 
Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. It doesn't make any sense, right? He loved Lazarus. He needed to be there, but he stayed two more days instead. To Martha, this would come across as unanswered prayer. Jesus, come quickly, but Jesus delays for two days instead. But we can never forget that unanswered prayer comes from a God of love who is trying to work everything out for our good and other people's good. Even though the prayer is unanswered, God loves us and cares for us. Verse 5, Jesus loved. Verse 6, so he stayed. It doesn't make sense. Why, why, would, why would he do the opposite of what is needed to fix the problem? Well, we can be confused by this because we're confused about what the ultimate goal is in life anyway. It's a good question to consider. What is the chief end for mankind? Let's put that question on the screen there. Let's think about that. What's the main reason we're here, right? What, what is our life all about? What should it be all about? And depending on what kind of a church you, you you know, grew up with, you may have an answer in your mind thinking, oh yeah, I remember this from this thing called the Shorter Catechism, which says, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. What's life all about? We need our lives to give God glory, to honor Him, to make Him famous, to obey Him. More than anything else, we want to be in a relationship with God, which we will enjoy forever. Problem is, our default answer isn't always that. If we were to say that casually, we'd say, ah, maybe to alleviate human suffering. That's the main goal for people in life, to alleviate other people's human suffering. And so we wrestle with what Jesus did here in delaying. But Jesus is ultimately concerned in giving his father glory. And the best thing that he could do for Lazarus and everybody else was to reveal that he was the son of God, that he was the Messiah, that he had power. And so he allowed this tragic situation to pass, knowing that he was ultimately going to give more glory to God with what he did. It, it is the most loving thing he could have done. I think it's important for us as we look at Martha just waiting and waiting for the answer that God's delays are not always his denials. It probably seemed like Jesus was saying, no, I don't want to help, but he was going to help in a different way. And he remains completely calm, even though this is a worst case scenario. Look at how calm Jesus is in verse 11. After he had said this, he went on to tell his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to wake him up. And they, they didn't understand this. They're like, what do you mean? If he's only fallen asleep, what's the big deal? So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. This calm attitude of Jesus in regards to an impossible situation, it should calm all of us down, right? God is not as worried as we are. Lazarus is dead, but to Jesus, it's just like he's taking a little nap, right? And sometimes we get so worked up and we can even exaggerate the situation thinking, oh, it's 100% the worst case scenario. And, and my, my kids will speak in hyperbole, probably because their dad speaks in hyperbole. Oh, this is the worst thing ever. And it was just a, a week ago that Titus told Shannon, you never want to talk to me. You only want to talk to Abigail and Gideon. She's like, oh, really? Is that, he's in half-day kindergarten, so she gets a half a day with him all, all day long. The real answer is Titus will never stop talking. So Shannon can't get a word in, so it seems like she doesn't want to talk to him. But we, we know that's not true, but he's speaking in hyperbole. He's exaggerating. But even if it is the worst-case scenario and it is as bad as we say, 
God still has a plan. We see this all throughout the scriptures. Think about in the book of Exodus when God is rescuing the Israelites after 400 years of slavery. He, he saves them out of Egypt with 10 miraculous plagues that were so powerful, all the nations around would be talking about it for years. Saves them out of it. They're leaving. They eventually approach the Red Sea and they turn around and they see a dust cloud behind them. Pharaoh had changed his mind, gathered the chariots and was going to capture them, attack them and bring them back into slavery. And what do they say after witnessing some of the greatest power that God has ever shown mankind? Here's their response. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Like, come, yeah, come on. Yes, God wanted to help Pharaoh bury you in the desert. That's why he did all these 10 plagues. No, but in that moment, that's exactly what we would say. God has abandoned us. Everything's horrible. This will never be okay. God's response to Moses when they're complaining like this is, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. They had nowhere to go. They could go nowhere. All they could do is turn around, some having a confidence in God, most just being fearful that they were going to die or be captured. And the Spirit of God came and put a cloud between them and the Israelites, parted the Red Sea. The Israelites walked through it. Pharaoh's army pushes forward. The chariot wheels are falling apart. And they even say themselves, their God is fighting for them. And the waters come back over the army of Egypt and the enemies of God were destroyed. And the whole time, God... God's heartbeat doesn't go up at all. He just says, stand still. Oh, look what I've already done for you. Of course I'm going to get you through this next situation, even if it is worst case scenario. I think of Jesus in Mark 4, where he's in a boat with the disciples and a storm on the Sea of Galilee is so bad, it's labeled as furious. So whatever storm you think you've lived through, this one was furious. The disciples just are freaking out and it says that Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion and they said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And you can just kind of picture Jesus waking up saying, oh, wind, stop, waves, stop. And it happens. The winds and the waves stop immediately, and the disciples are blown away that even nature would obey the commands of Jesus. And he looks at him and says, you guys don't have enough faith. You need to have some faith. We're not going to die. It's the Son of God is in the boat. You need to have some faith. So it's very natural for us to get worked up, but the calm attitude of Jesus should also calm us down. That doesn't mean that we're not going to be disappointed with how God is handling it. Look at verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Her suffering really led her to be disappointed in Jesus. And suffering can do the same thing for all of us. We can just say, oh, I, really thought, I really thought God was going to come through like this. That's common. But even a conversation with God about being disappointed with God can grow our relationship with Him, can draw us closer to Him. And keep in mind, God is infinite in his wisdom. He knows how the situation will work out for good, even if we don't. But he's also infinite in his love. So he can empathize with a finite human that is just losing their mind, thinking it's all over. So let's be honest with God. The Psalms themselves testify that it's okay to lament and say, this is hard and this is a struggle and we wish God would act differently. 
That's okay. Martha went to Jesus in her pain, and she kept on believing in him, even though she was disappointed. She said, Lord, even now I know that God will do whatever you ask. And she really knew the scriptures, and this, this helped her. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. She knew the scriptures. She knew that even though she had pain in losing her brother too soon, that one day he would be resurrected at the last day. She knew what the Bible said about the afterlife, and it brought her a measure of comfort even in this extreme pain. And for the believer, it is so important for us to think about heaven. For the believer, even though we die, we don't really die. We close our eyes here on earth and open them in heaven. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. God is going to safely see us into eternity. And having a good theology can bring so much comfort in our most difficult moments. It's two weeks ago, we're sitting by the pool. I have no idea why I asked this question. It was a little bit in jest, but I just wanted to ask the question. Gideon walks by and I said, Gid, how do you get to heaven? And so he's like a pastor's kid, right? I'm supposed to, he's got, there should be a good answer there, right? And he goes, oh, by doing a lot of good works. I'm like, oh, no, that's the exact, that's the worst answer you could have given. No, I was like, kind of raised my voice a little bit, like freaking out, like, no, and Shannon's laughing like crazy. And we're like, Gideon. And he's like, what, what, you want me to do bad things? I'm like, no, st- now you're just being a punk. No. And we had to talk to him about the gospel, and he's like, yeah, I know, you know. And then we asked Abigail, and she knocked it out of the park. So maybe when he's 10, he'll knock it out of the park. But what are they teaching these kids in Sea Kids right now? It's not that. It was me. I was just like, I, I know we've had this conversation a hundred times, but he's basically just representing the most common view in America. Look at this poll that shows what Americans believe. 48% of Americans two years ago believe a person who is generally good or does enough good things for others will earn a place in heaven. That makes sense. It's just nowhere to be found in the Bible. But it makes sense. Yeah, I'm not as bad as them, so they should be punished, and I did a couple of good things, so I should be rewarded. Makes a lot of sense. Nowhere is it found in the Scriptures. Nowhere. And only a third of people believe when you die, you will go to heaven only because you have confessed your sins and accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. We throw ourselves upon the mercy of God and what Jesus has done on the cross and that he was resurrected is our belief in Jesus and his goodness that saves us. And of course, once we have a relationship with God, we're overflowing with gratefulness and we want to do good works, but never to earn favor from God or earn heaven. That's impossible for us to do. And so good theology can help us in difficult times. And so how do you grow in your theology? You can, you can commit to reading the Bible a little bit each day. You can join a life group, a, a discipleship group. One of the goals is to keep each other accountable to Bible reading and talking about it with the others once a week. If you're not a reader, there's still a way to grow in your theology. Our church offers uh, the Right Now Media app that you can have on your phone or Apple TV, and there are hundreds of video Bible studies that you can access for free. Some of them only eight minutes long, but you're slowly growing in your theology. You can click a link at the bottom of our church website to sign up for that. Really good kids content as well. And so Jesus is here, and he's talking with Martha, but he's not a robot. He's not a distant God. He's, he's human. He's fully God and fully human, and so he has emotions, and look at how he handles it in verse 35. 
really the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. It's so comforting to know that Jesus really cares for us when we're hurting. To read the Psalms and remember that God captures every tear in a bottle, that he's near to the brokenhearted, that he actually cares when we're hurting. And, and Jesus here weeping with other people, but why is he weeping? I don't think it's because he's missing Lazarus because he knows in 15 minutes he's bringing him back. So why is he weeping? He is seeing the destruction that sin has brought, the pain and the lack of hope that people are experiencing because of the sin all the way back from Adam until now. And, and the destruction of sin hurts us and others, and Jesus weeps over it. And Jesus can relate even more than just having a friend that is lost. Now that he himself died on the cross and was risen, Jesus can relate to us in our pain. Sometimes the best thing we can do it, to help other people is just to weep with them. The scriptures say, weep with those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice, right? And just to express, say, hey, I'm hurting with you because I love you. When we were in Mexico building a house for Sylvia and her three boys, at the very end, they made us a really nice meal, some really good tamales that restored my confidence in tamales. I'm like, oh, this is what a tamale should taste like. And, um, and so we had to pick somebody in our team to hand her the keys. And so we picked Donna. Donna's this amazing 70-year-old woman that put us all to shame with her work ethic building this house. Amazing. She gets up there, and she really is, she's trying to express the love of this team for Sylvia and the love of God for Sylvia. But really what she did is cry for five minutes with Sylvia. And Sylvia didn't understand a word that she was saying because Donna was speaking so much that the, the translator actually couldn't catch up and he had to wait until the end. But what happened was amazing. We all start crying and tearing up. And then Sylvia, not understanding a single word, just starts bawling her eyes out and hugging Donna. And you think that the tears, the weeping with those that weep is what communicated the love of God even with a language barrier. It was a beautiful thing. And so these situations are hard. We're going to weep and we may even question God. Look at verse 30, uh, 37. But some of them said, and this is a good question, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Like, well, you, yeah, you got a point. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been in there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? It's okay to question the ways of God, the response of God, but we will do so much better in life if we never question the motive of God, the love of God. Often when we pray, we think, Lord, I've already mapped it all out. All you got to do is follow my plan and solve my problem, right? And we think this is, this is how you'll do it. And we can be discouraged by the ways of God because it doesn't work out the way we wanted, but never the motive of God. Nahum 1.7 says, the Lord is good. And that is the anchor for our soul that we have to hold on to when we are going through grief and pain and overwhelming situations in life. I don't know why God is allowing this to happen, but I do know that God is good and he already demonstrated that on the cross. And so I'm, I'm gonna choose to not doubt that even though my feelings are screaming, God isn't here, he's abandoned me. Questioning his ways, but not his, mo his motives. Martha said, but, but Lord... The crowd said, couldn't he have done better? I mean, he's the miracle worker. Couldn't he have done that? But the motive was there. Yes, he could have stopped that pain, but God's plan is not to keep us from pain in life. 
We want that. That's, that's a heart of a, a child who, knew, who knows they're made for eternity calling out for heaven, saying, I don't want the pain. I don't want the suffering. I don't want that. We're, we're, we're saying we want heaven on earth, but God can't give us that yet, right? It's waiting for us. And there are times where God intervenes and does exactly what we're, we're praying for, right? But God is, is going to see us through the pain, resurrect us after the pain, save us and, and raise us up and give us the endurance to get through with the strength of God, no matter how bad the situation is. The crucifixion dealt the first blow to sin and death and enabled us to have a relationship with God. One day, Jesus is going to return and deal that death blow to sin and death when he comes back to rule and reign and he casts away sin and death and they will be no more and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and we will only experience peace and joy in him. So we can question his ways, but never his motive. He's, he's done so much to prove it to us already. And so how does Jesus ultimately respond? Verse 41, so they took away the stone then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out with his hands and feet wrapped in the strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let them go. And it is both the healing of Jesus that we see here in this moment and our response in faith when Jesus does not heal that can benefit other people. Jesus specifically says that he is praying out loud, not because the Father doesn't know what's in his heart, but for the benefit of those that are standing here. It was observable. They could see his connection to the Father and they'd be able to give glory to God when this miracle happened. And so that's the like impossible, the real impossible task for us, not even getting through the trial, but getting through it in a way where we are giving glory to God, keeping our trust in God in an observable way so other people that we love can look to us and say, they suffer differently. They have a hope that I don't have. It's okay to cry. I, I cry all the time. I'm really great at crying. You, want to, you need a shoulder to cry on, I will cry with you. You tell me your story in two minutes and I'm weeping with you. It's just not that hard for, for me to do. But listen, God is showing here that we can help other people with our response even when he doesn't answer our prayer the way we want him to. And that's hard. And that's, it feels impossible. You're like, so in, in the worst case scenario, I am to be this pillar. Well, no, you're allowed to weep. You're allowed to struggle. You're allowed to grieve. But can you cling on to God's goodness and hold on to it and, and show people that that is where your strength comes from? Well, that's going to feel impossible unless we start living for God in the small, mundane parts of our life. That's where most of Christianity is played out, in the small, daily activities of life. Is that where we're a Christian? It's great when you respond well in the big moments, but what about in the little moments, right? What about in traffic where you just want to slam your hand against the, the wheels and curse and yell and blame that person? Listen, we, we need to grow in our patience and trust of the Lord. And I, I'm not saying that I haven't mastered that. On, this is probably why I had my appendix exploded. On the way back from, from Mexico, uh, I'm at the border. I barely found the right line, and I find myself in line. I'm like, all right, this is about an hour and a half to two-hour line. Not bad. I had to come back a day early from the team, so I was by myself because I had to speak at a graduation here. And uh, so I'm sitting in line. I'm in the leftmost lane, and there's these people in the back 
that obviously had somewhere to go that were skipping the line, going around the cones, and then frantically waving to cut ahead of who I have discovered to be the weakest human being on the planet because they let like 10 cars go ahead of them. Every car represented five additional minutes at the border, which has no bathrooms. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, who is this person up here? Now, I could have just said, oh, great, extra time with the Lord, call some friends, pray for the missions team. But what I did was look at the right lane next to me, and I was like, all right, I need to identify the, weak, the second weakest human in the world to cut ahead of. And finally, that person came, staring at their phone, 10-foot gap, just enough room in between taco carts. And I took that four-cylinder Ford Fiesta and revved it up and got my front of my car right in front of their car. Windows rolled up. I moved all the mirrors so they couldn't see me, and I never looked back. And I got home. I would still be in the borderline with my appendix exploded, just dead there, if I was in that left lane, if I didn't do this. So don't judge me too hard. But listen, I, I actually don't want to be that guy that is like all worked up. Like, I've got, I've, got to hurt, I've got to ruin this person's day because my day has been delayed an extra hour. I don't want to be that person. In the, in the daily moments of life, I want to be overflowing with the fruits of the Spirit. And patience is one of those. And so I, I want to grow. This is where my kids are going to see my faith, in the car and at home. I can pride myself on looking at the grocery lines being so tall and finding the shortest line. But, you know, I just need to live an unhurried life in whatever line is closest and talk with the people around me and not try and gain the extra few seconds. When my kids talk back to my wife, my blood boils because of the disrespect, I can walk in the Spirit and correct them calmly. You can be firm and calm and loving rather than matching their disrespect with them. That's, that's the dad that I want to be. When the dryer breaks right after the refrigerator breaks and you think, God has abandoned me. I thought he was a good shepherd that would provide for me. No, it's in those moments we can say, God will continue to provide for me. It's in the boring moments of life that our faith is lived out. And after Jesus did this amazing miracle, many people believed, this is just like a day or so before Palm Sunday. So there's a huge crowd that is believing in Jesus now, but some still plotted to take his life because there will always be those that reject Jesus. But making dead men alive is still what God wants to do spiritually, just like Jesus did here. And for anyone that will yield their life to Jesus and call upon him for help, he will save them and he will make them new from the inside out. We're going to take communion together. So if you want to pull out your cup, this is a, this is a believer's meal. If you have professed faith in Jesus, then God wants to have a meal with his children. Right? How, how cool is this? Some of the best moments I have in life are sitting around a table laughing and hearing stories and spending time over food. God knows that. That's seen all throughout the scriptures, Jesus having meals with sinners and reminding them that God loves them. And so God wants to have a meal with his children, with those that are following him. That's how much our God wants a relationship with us. And so if you'll take the, the bread out of the one side, I love how Paul says this. He says, for I received from the Lord that which I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so let's take the bread together. And if you'll open up the cup, but make sure you flip it upside down first. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup together. Father, we're so thankful that you love us so much that you want to share a meal with us. And, and an actual meal, this is a moment where we had communion with you, where we had fellowship with you, where we, where we hung out with you. We're not forgetting you. We're remembering Jesus and his sacrifice right now. And isn't that the key, Lord? You, you want us to constantly remember you as we read our Bible, as we sing, as we serve you, Lord. The more and more we can remember that we are God's children, the less we are distracted away from you and making these destructive decisions that we make that hurt us and those that we love. So thank you for caring so much about us that you not only want to guide us, but you, you just want to be with us. You want to saturate this place with your presence so we can feel that you're here. And we can be reminded that looking to you is the best thing that we can do. Help us to examine our hearts, Lord. And if we need to confess our sins, help us to do that so we can be in a right relationship with you and with other people. And we thank you for your mercy and your love. We're going to continue to make mistakes, but you are merciful and loving. And we're so grateful for that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you here next week. There's a prayer team up front if you need prayer.